Amen. And good morning. And thank you for that awesome worship, Devin, and the worship team. We are so blessed. Um, well, it's not the third Sunday, but Pastor Dave asked me if I would share this weekend, and uh, my pleasure to get to dive into another great verse together. As we're going through this series called Verses for Life, we're looking at some key and pivotal Bible verses that you can stake your life on. And as we get into this morning's verse, I'm going to kind of start out with a little exercise for us. And I'm going to give you guys a few quotes, famous quotes, if you would, and just kind of see as we do this if you can put together what these all have in common. First one. I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock them out, but I pick the round. Muhammad Ali, that's right, if you're familiar with him, one of the greatest boxers of all time. I love that quote. I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. Uh, how about this one? Let's go. Let's, che let's check your Latin. Um, this is a historical quote here. Veni, vidi, vici. I came, I saw, I conquered, right? Julius Caesar, if you remember, said that as he con his, his conquest in the east after the Battle of Zila, he wrote back to Rome and said, man, what a bad quote. I came, I saw, I conquered. Final one, a little more modern. This one makes me laugh every time I hear it. I am Warhol. I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh. Who is that? Anybody? Yeah, it was Kanye. Oh, you were in first service, you know. It was Kanye West. None other than Kanye West. Well, what do these all have in common here? Somebody said Warhol first service because I'm like, no, that's a little too obvious. But um, what do these all have in common? I hope you picked it up. These are some of the greatest brags in history, right? You have heard these and, and maybe you haven't. But, but when you hear someone say this, it's kind of, to me, one of the most entertaining things out there, hearing some of these high-level brags. But bragging, we all do it. It's, it's been a part of all of our nat natures. You know, since we were little kids, we all bragged. You remember when you're, or if you have little kids, you see them, they run up to you and they're like, Dad, look how strong I am. They're flexing. Or look how fast I am. Or, or Mom, look at this drawing. It's amazing. And it's just two squiggles, you know, and, and some yellow. And, and, you know, since we're little, we have this built-in sense that we want to be recognized. We want to be kind of looked at and thought, you know, hey, they're something. They're special. I mean, you might think, I don't brag, but have you ever applied for a job or written a resume, <laughs> right? You read things. I was reading a resume the other day for someone who applied for an internship here, and it was like, uh, I think it said, I work too hard, I'm dedicated to a fault, I don't know when to quit. And I'm like, oh, this person's perfect. They'll just work for free, you know? It's like, that's what you sound like when you're applying for things. I just love working so much. I work to just work, you know? And, and we all do that. We all build ourselves up at one time or another. My favorite is kind of the modern day. It's called the humble brag. You ever heard of a humble brag? I think we're so blessed in life that we don't even realize when we're bragging sometimes. You know, it's like, oh, man, that vacation to Hawaii just wore me out. I need a vacation from my vacation, or you ever talk to someone and they're like, can you believe it? The doctor actually wants me to gain weight. You know, and you're like, oh, great. It's nice being you. You give someone a compliment and they go, it's not me. It's just genetics. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. It's just genetics, you know. And we have that sense about us in life, right? Humble brags are those things that you try to slip in or someone slips into a conversation where they don't want to directly brag and be that obvious. But man, my life is great. 
My life is good. And we don't brag about just anything, right? We brag about those things in life that we look at as our strengths. We look at it as our, our, our blessings or things that we're proud of, things that we think as other people hear them, they'll accept us because of those things. And I bring that up because this morning, the verse we're going to jump into, well, the Apostle Paul is going to do a bit of bragging. He's going to do it in such a way, though, that instead of bragging about the things that you would normally or ordinarily brag about, he kind of flips the script and teaches us a lot as he does that. He's defending himself. He's got some people who have been attacking him, and he kind of comes to this point in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 12. If you want to flip open to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he comes to this point where, as he's, as he's been writing to them, he gets to this issue that has arisen. And the issue was, as is these false apostles or false teachers had kind of come into the church, it tended to happen to them often. And as they came in, they began to undercut or undermine Paul's authority and his ability to speak into the lives of the Corinthians. And Paul, naturally, kind of goes on guard. He wants to defend himself. He wants to kind of stick up for himself. You ever had someone who, in your field or in what you do in life, you know, they come at you and they're just kind of telling you you should do things differently. You should make a different decision. You should be better at this or that. And you look at them and you're like, who are you? You know, you don't know what I know. You haven't been through what I've been through. And Paul, in some sense, as the apostle, is looking at these false apostles and the, the doctrine they've been spreading in the Corinthian church. And he's going, look... These guys, he's, he's real tempted to brag. And as we get to chapter 12, he kind of does so in a backhanded way. But it's to set up an argument that he's going to make. We're going to be in verse 9, but the, the way that chapter 12 goes is he starts out going, look, now, it's not beneficial or good for me to boast, to brag. But when it comes to experiences and revelations from God, uh, let me give you a story. I know a guy. <laughs> There's a guy, quote, quote, guy, right? We all have that friend that we ask on behalf of. And Paul's kind of setting up this, this, this analogy of himself, ultimately. He goes, I know a guy who was called up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, he was called up to paradise with God. And this guy, he says in verse 5, as he's kind of giving us the background here, this guy heard things inexpressible. It would be unlawful of me to tell you, all the amazing things that this guy has heard. He's going, essentially, he's going, this guy has heard from the Lord. He has seen things that people here haven't seen. And he's, he's essentially saying, look, I know a guy, quote, quote. As he goes on, he's going, look, this guy, clearly I could argue and, and, and boast about. But of myself, I'm not going to boast because I wouldn't be beneficial for you guys. You'd look at me the wrong way. And then he follows that on as he gets into verse 7. And he then switches to talking about himself. The real reason why he brought up this quote, quote, guy, who is Paul himself, who had been to heaven, seen amazing things, had these great revelations, could easily appeal to that uh, wondrous knowledge, an amazing experience that he has with God for authority. He goes, listen, the reason I brought that up was not actually to brag about myself, <laughs> I'm too humble for that. But it was actually, because as he gets into verse 7, he goes, lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I should be so puffed up with pride, lest I look at myself having all this great knowledge and revelation and experience and, 
and essentially credentials over everyone else. A thorn of the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And again, in verse 7, at the end, he says, lest I be exalted above measure. He goes, God sent something along to burst my bubble. I would be tempted to be so puffed up. And that word there for, for thorn, for thorn of the flesh, is this idea of a prickly thorn. But it's also used of stakes in the ancient days, something that would pin something down. He goes, look, there was something that God had to send along my way to burst my bubble. There was something so that I didn't float off and think I was so much higher than you that had to pin me down, that had to stake me back down to earth. What was it? We don't know. <laughs> Honestly, he doesn't say. A lot of people kind of surmise. Some people go, oh, it was, the, it was the people that he was arguing against here, these false apostles. Imagine everywhere you go in life, these guys pop up and they undermine everything you do. Could have been them. Could have been Tertullian said he had headaches and he had sickness. Um, some people think it was malaria. I mean, the most probable cause was Paul often refers to his eyes in his letters. To the Galatian church, he says, you've seen with what big eyes or what big letters I've written to you. He also says that in illness he came and he preached to them. And then he later on says, you would have poked out your own eyes if you could have and given them to me. Could have been his eyes. Could have been people following him. Could have been his past. Paul had this past where, where, man, he had persecuted the church. He was there when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was killed, stoned to death. Paul even held the coats, consenting to those who did it. And everywhere Paul went, people would probably second guess what he was saying. Is he really here? Uh, I mean, has he really changed? Is he really different? You know what it feels like to have people look at your past and judge you. All these things. I mean, here's the thing. Is any one of those things worse than another? <laughs> you look at Paul's life. Paul's life was difficult. Paul's life was hard. Paul's life, it could have been any one of these thorns. In chapter 11, he mentions, look, I was um, whipped by the Jews five times. I was beaten with rods three times. I was stoned. I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been jailed and robbed, and I'm always in danger. <laughs> Essentially to say, look, my life, the very things that these false apostles are accusing me of, of, of not being any importance in my life, the very thing uh, that they're bringing up, well, yes, those are all thorns. Those are all difficulties in my life. We don't know exactly what it was, and I think that's kind of the point. I mean, we can see so much of ourselves in all these different aspects of Paul's struggles and pains. But nonetheless, Paul goes, God allowed things in my life that were going to pin me down. That we're going to burst my bubble. And so, as he goes on in verse 7, or verse 8, I'm sorry, he goes, so three times I prayed. I mean, here he is, this guy who had been to heaven, who had seen amazing things, who had heard things, had revelation and experience, was the greatest church worker, you could say, in all of human history. If anyone God was going to hear and answer, it would be Paul. Look, Lord, if this wasn't a part of my life, I could do more for you. Look, Lord, if this wasn't pinning me down, I could make more. I could do more. I could be more. And insert yourself there, right? We often think this kind of thing in life. If I had more money, if I had this, if I had that, if I wasn't sick, and you can go on through the list of all the problems that we face, you say, God, I could be, do, experience more. And Paul goes, look, three times I pray. 
And I pray, and I pray that the Lord would take this away from me. And that brings us to our verse for life this morning, verse 9. Look at what Paul says as he gets to how God responds. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As Paul prays and prays and prays and seeks the Lord for a good thing in his life, he eventually hears from God. What does God say? Look, I know Paul would say, look, if you take this thorn away, I could be better. I could do more. I could, I could, I could go out there and do things for you, God. But what does God say? You're good. My grace is all you need. My grace is everything, Paul. What does that mean? Grace? Well, grace is the way that God treats us in ways we don't deserve. Grace is the way God reaches out to us in a state that we couldn't ever earn or expect or demand. And God would look at Paul and he'd go, look, the way I treat you, the way I work on your behalf, my goodness towards you, it's not reflected in every situation of your life. It's reflected in the fact that I would send my only begotten son to die on your behalf. It's reflected. Let me give you an example, Paul. And right here in this verse, he goes, look, you want to see the way my grace works out? Where you're weak, Paul, I'm going to share with you my strength. That's something amazing. God's strength and power. I mean, think about this. People in charge don't like to share their power with other people. It's kind of what keeps them in charge most of the time. Dictators, tyrants, rulers, anyone. They don't like to disperse their power. It makes you less powerful. Not so with God. God looks at Paul and he goes, look, where you're weak, I want to share my strength with you. I want to do something in your life, Paul, that you couldn't do on your own. In your weakness, my strength now becomes a reality in your life. Paul, I know what you'd be without me. Without my strength. You think you'd be further along. You think you'd be more dedicated, more productive. You think you'd be more beneficial to me that way. But I see what you don't see. And he says to Paul, I know you'd be exalted. I know that you'd try to do this all on your own without my strength. I know that you would, you would in your blessing, in your abundance, I know you'd go on and you'd think, I don't really need God. I don't really need to focus on him in the way that I want to focus on him. You would be caught up and strung up in your pride, Paul. And what you don't actually realize from your weakness is that it's my strength through that weakness that is actually holding everything together for you, Paul. I think this is one of the most difficult things for us to come to realize about life, right? Most of us kind of have this ethic that the harder I work, uh, the healthier I am, the better or more noble I try to live my life, well, that's how life is going to be better for me. But you have to understand, no matter how good, no matter how powerful, no matter how strong, no matter how successful, whatever it is, no matter how much we try to climb that ladder, eventually it breaks down. Eventually, Ali lost his fights. Eventually, Julius Caesar was what? Stabbed in the back by his best friend, et tu, Brute? Eventually, it all comes tumbling down, and not one of us in here can hold it all together. Uh, not one of us can look even at the end of our lives at death and say, I've got this. 
I've got the strength, I've got the power to overcome everything on my own. And God says, look, it's only because I care for you, Paul, to us, that I'm going to allow something in this life that's actually going to pin you back down. It's going to burst that bubble. Because if you try to make it in that pride, that phony, arrogant mentality that says, look, I got this, I got my plans, I've got my abilities. Lord, then the, the Lord says, then the very things that you end up pouring your life into, thinking are going to make you strong in life, end up becoming the very things that keep you from God, keep you from experiencing his grace and his strength. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 6. He said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but he lost his soul? What a thought. That you could have everything go your way and be proud and powerful, but you lost the very core of who you were supposed to be. The very core of your connection to God that made you depend on and rely upon him. So God goes, look, I'm going to allow some difficulties in your life. I'm going to allow some things that that burst your bubble, some thorns, some situations where weakness and brokenness is all you have. And what Paul begins to lay out here for us is an understanding that those are the very things that actually make us strong now. They reveal God's strength in us. You remember Moses? Time and time again, God did this throughout the scriptures. You remember old stuttering Moses? Called by God at the age of 80 years old, to go to the, the, the Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, and say, let my God's people go. Let Israel go. Moses didn't have a resume you'd write home about. He was guilty of murder in Egypt. He was a wanted man. He was also rejected, if you remember, before he left Egypt. For, he was rejected by the Israelites. They had kind of turned their backs on him. And he goes into the wilderness, and for 40 years, he just kind of, kind of bides time, does nothing, doesn't really have much going on. And then at age 80, God calls this stuttering, doubting, fearful guy to go to the greatest ruler in all of the world and to perform miracles unlike any this world has ever seen. Moses, of course, even doubts that and stutters and complains to God and God sends along Aaron to help him out. And what we see in that story, if you go back to Exodus, is is God, through the midst of someone who who really, I mean, I know we think Moses is this Charlton Heston-like figure, right? <laughs> We've seen the movie where he's just so bold and brave and handsome and, and, you know, strong, and he's just standing up there. But Moses, in reality, if you go through the Bible account of him, he was stuttering. He was doubting God. He was on the run. He had everything in a bad resume that you would think, man, this guy isn't the guy for the job. I need someone bold and brave and strong and just powerful. But God goes, no, I want that weak guy. I want that guy who you would think and you wouldn't expect anything from so that I can show off how awesome and powerful I am. You can go through story. You remember Gideon? Gideon in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 6, God calls Gideon to go out to, to battle with the Midianites who had been oppressing Israel for year after year after year. They stole and they took everything from Israel. Israel didn't have enough food. They were going through, uh, they, were, they were weak and they were famished, the Bible says. And, and God calls Midian to go out and to battle the Midianites. Gideon to battle the Midianites. Sorry if I mix that one up there. And what does Gideon do? Of course, he throws out the fleece. God, I don't know. Is it really me? God speaks to him. What does Gideon do? 
throws out the fleece again. I don't know, double count, you know, like I want to double check this. I want to make sure you're not lying to me, God. God speaks to him again. And not only that, but Gideon was able to gather this huge army. It spoke volumes, the fact that a lot of the Israelite tribes that hadn't gotten together for so long had been separated for so many years, it says for seven years, all gathered behind Gideon and were ready to go out to battle. But what does God do at that point? He goes, Gideon, I don't need a big army. Dwindle this down to 300 men. 300 men against what in Judges chapter 7 it says were, as the Midianites had gathered with the Amalekites, it was, it was more people than could number the sand in the sea. It was like they looked out, it was just a vast army of people. It's probably about 300 people in you. Imagine taking on an entire army together, right? And God brings them down to this 300-person army. And do you think they were the 300 greatest, strongest soldiers? Maybe. I don't know. They never even fought with their weapons. God had him go take these lamps and put them inside these jars, these, these clay containers, and to run out with trumpets in the middle of the night and to kind of sneak out into the midst of the other armies. And there at the, the call of Gideon, uh, they blew all their trumpets, and then they shattered these jars and held up their torches. They never even lifted a sword. Never even drew back the bow and arrow. It was like none of that was ever an important thing for God. God was going, look, I'm going to use something else to totally defend you guys and to, to take the battle to them. And we're told that the, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they got confused and scared and they began to stab each other and to turn on each other and then they fled. Right? God chose these, these weak people, these stumbling doubters, the, the, the foolish ways to confound the wise. I mean, think of, think of Paul writing this letter here, right? The very guy defending himself is now appealing to all the difficult and painful things that have happened to him. And he's going, look, if I hadn't been thrown in jail, if I hadn't been doubted by you guys, if I hadn't been able to not physically be there with you in the flesh, then, then think about that. Paul would have never written this letter. Paul would have never written so many of the letters that he ended up writing, Right? What if Paul took this mentality that just said, oh man, God, I'm in jail again. This is the worst. Oh no, God. But instead, Paul pivoted. And Paul goes, what can I do? And he wrote some of the greatest letters, Philippians. We've looked at so many verses from that book, Colossians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, from, from places of weakness, from stages of life where he wasn't the strongest, bravest, most. It was said that Paul was this short, little, stubby-nosed guy. And when he walked in, everyone goes, what? That's you? I heard you on the radio. I thought you looked a lot different, right? You know, like that kind of a thing. Paul was exactly that type of guy. It was like, oh my goodness, that guy? And yes, that guy. He could have been out there preaching. He could have been out there traveling and touring all the churches he planted. He could have been out there taking care of all the problems in person. But God had brought him to this place where he couldn't do that. God had brought him to this place of weakness where now God did something greater than he could have ever done if he was out there. We would have never had his sermons, his messages, all those things recorded. We would have never really had all that if he had been outside of the jails, outside of the prisons, outside of this weakness. But in that, God did something more than what would have ever happened if Paul had been without this thorn in the flesh. You see, it's hard for us to kind of wrestle with this because everything in our culture and society kind of tells us to not acknowledge our weaknesses, to pretend like we're all amazing, you know? 
We're all beautiful. Everyone's an athlete. Everyone's a genius. Everyone's special. You're all going to get that golden ticket to the next round in Hollywood. But the fact is, we're not. I'm not saying that in a mean way. I mean, we've all got some real weaknesses and problems. And, and if we can't come to grips with that, then we don't come to grips with the areas where God's strength is going to do something really special in our lives. If I can't be comfortable with my weakness and I think I'm, I'm just an influencer and I think my opinion's so important and I think so greatly and highly of myself, if that's the pride that I live in in life and I can't actually just say, you know what? I do have some problems. I do have some weaknesses. It's not all everyone else's fault. It's not all life's fault. It's, there's actually some weakness in me too. If I can't do that, I can't come to grips with the places that God wants to show himself strong. You see, these are often the ways that we, we do end up growing. You know, you, you end up finding and coming to terms with areas of weakness. And, and the moment you can kind of come to terms with that and embrace that, you end up finding that God works in different ways. God strengthens you in different ways that you never thought. I mean, I remember my daughter when she broke her leg. I told you about this, playing soccer. The first day she got crutches. She was 10 and she got her crutches. And It's like, you know, whenever you get an injury and you're trying to hobble around on crutches, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Your armpits hurt because you're, you know, you're all bruised and, and you're, you feel like a fool. You feel like everybody's looking at you and going, oh, look at that person. You know, and then, I kid you not, like two weeks later, She's doing cartwheels on crutches. She's figured out how to like one-legged run faster than anyone else I know. It's like, that's kind of how it goes when you have this area of weakness. You can spend all your time like arguing against it and, and being upset about it, or you can kind of just embrace the pain, embrace the difficulty, and learn that God maybe has a different way for you to do things. Allow God's strength to come through. I remember when I was in my 20s, I so badly wanted to go to uh, seminary. To, to learn more and grow as a pastor, I felt like I was called to go to church, uh, to work and, and serve in a church and to teach, but I, I hadn't had a great, a great education up until that point, and I was like, man, I really want to go to a good school and seminary, and so I had picked out the school I really wanted to go to, but the only problem was, is I was in my mid-20s, I was working three jobs, I was newly married, we had a kid on the way, I just, there was no money, and there was no real time for me to actually really go to school. But I was like, God, I feel called to do this. I really want to do this. And I kept praying and kept praying. And, 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 and I went to financial aid meetings. I, went to, I tried every grant I could find. And, and at the end of the day, nothing happened. Nothing happened. So I thought, okay, I don't have enough faith. So I'm going to apply to the school anyways. So I applied. And I kind of applied under the intent in, in prayer that God would kill off that that rich uncle that I didn't know I had, you know, and that somehow the money would come through and I'm just, it's going to happen, you know, stranger things have happened. And so that was kind of my weird prayer that the uncle maybe was a mean guy, so I wouldn't feel bad about it, but that he would die off in a special way and, and, and I would gain a million dollars or so. And I was just like, you could do it, God. I applied to school, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. After a while, I kind of was like losing steam and was like, oh, I guess I'll just go later on in life. It was kind of at that point where I was like, yeah, whatever you want to do, God. I thought I was, that was my path. Maybe you want me to do something different. I got an email from the school. I was excited. I thought it was being an email like, hey, look, somebody paid for your tuition, but it wasn't. It was just an email to current students, and it was a link to the bookstore for them to buy their books. And I was about to throw it away and trash it, but I felt like God was like, no, open that link. And so I opened the link, and it was like just kind of a weird moment. It wasn't some grand God speaking to me. I just felt like 
I'm going to open that link. So I followed the link, and it took me to the bookstore at the school, and I saw there at the bookstore at the school that I could go into each of the classes that I might have taken in, a, in, a, in the degree that I wanted to take, and I could have taken Theology 1 or Eschatology or Soteriology, all the ologies, um, and I could find all the books for each and every one of those classes. And not only that, but they had listed there that I could purchase all the notes from the teachers. In the seminary, they, the teachers publish their notes, and so what I, what I realized is, look, I don't have the time to really go to classes, but God kind of opened this door where now I can kind of hack the system. I found I could get all the books from these classes, go online, find some lectures, and I could find all the notes of these teachers. And what I did for the next five years, kind of on my own, when I had the time, was I took class after class after class, and I read through all the books, and I, and I did kind of that education on my own. Now, it's not as perfect as it would have been when I went there, and later on, I had the opportunity to go to school and, and finished it, but I learned so much more by kind of pivoting and learning to do things in a different way. And in some sense, it's like, this is how God works in our lives. You think, oh, no, that door is closed. You think, oh, no, I can't afford that. I can't do that. Oh, no, this is a problem, and and this disqualifies me. God's never going to use me in that way. And God looks at you, and he goes, no, 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 look. It may not be the way that you want to do it, but I want to show myself strong. I want to work out something special in your life. Just because you've got this pain, this difficulty, this thorn holding you back, doesn't mean that I'm not going to show myself strong in your life. And the moment you can learn to embrace that and stop fighting it, stop arguing against it, stop trying to force it to go your way, is the moment that you begin to allow me to kind of camp out and work on your behalf. I love that as Paul ends this, Look at what he says in this verse. He says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Where he says rest upon me, that's the Greek word for camping out, for pitching a tent. He goes, you want to know where God's hanging out? You want to know where God's like ready to just be there right beside you, hanging out, getting you through things? Well, it's not when you're all puffed up and think everything's going just right. It's not when I could stand up here as a pastor and deliver this perfect message where I've pontificated everything perfectly and and, and everything's just perfect. He goes, you want to know where where people are actually going to see me camping out? It's It's in your frailties. It's in your flaws. It's in those areas of weakness that I, I'm there. That's where I'm at. That's where, where you're going to find me. You're, you're pinned down like, a, like a, a tent peg would be, but I'm the tent. And I'm covering you. And I've got you for every one of those times where you thought, oh man, I really screwed this up. For every one of those times where you thought, I had this presentation, but I bumbled through it. And God goes, hey, I'm there with you. For every time you, you feel the cold coming on, you feel the sickness, and you're like, oh man, I've got so much to do this week. Oh no, I've got this and that and this problem and that. God goes, hey, hey, stop relying on your own strength. I'm there with you. I always have been, and I always will be. And if you can come to terms with those areas of your life that, that you feel like, man, these are thorns, these are problems, these are areas of weakness, and you can learn to look at them and say, you know what? I'm going to boast about this. Not because everything's going the way I wanted. And I'll still pray like Paul did that God will take it away. 
But if God so chooses to allow this to go on in my life, then I know this is where he's camping out. This is where he's going to meet me. This is where I'm going to grow as a person. This is where I become closer to who I was called to be and meant to be in life, rather than someone who's so puffed up. You see, if Paul was puffed up and arrogant in his pride, he would have never been able to connect with people. You see, pride and our, our boasting and our accomplish, accomplishments never really draws us closer to anyone else, right? You know, when someone's talking to you and they're bragging about things, they're doing the humble brag and they need that vacation from the vacation. You're sitting there and you're going, oh, man, shut up. You can't even connect with me. You don't even understand what it's like to be me, right? And that's how bragging goes. And if Paul had chosen to, chosen to do this, he would have grown, grown no closer to that church in Corinth. He wouldn't have connected with us at all. But instead, he's going, look, look at what we have in common. We all hurt. We all have infirmities. We all have pain. We all have problems. And those are all opportunities for God to show himself strong. For people to look at how we deal with those things and go, wow, God must be real because I don't know how I could deal with that. Wow, that God that they believe in, that must be something special because I don't know, in that situation, I wouldn't do the same thing. I wouldn't be as calm. I wouldn't be as patient. I wouldn't be as generous or kind. See, those are the things in the areas of life that God looks at and goes, I'm with you guys. I'm here with you. I'm camping out and my strength is now for you. So as we look at our lives and we think about things we might brag about, take a second look this week and think about those things that might be thorns, those situations that might be pinning you down, those problems that might be Something you would say, God, if you took this away, I could do more. I could be more. And hear what Paul is saying. Because those are the very situations where God is saying, you are more. Because my strength is with you in that. You are more. And what you don't understand is I'm holding it all together. I know you feel like you're at the end. I know you feel like this weakness doesn't make sense. That this problem that you wish would go away. But understand, I'm there with you. Those are the areas of connection and contact. That's where I'm camping out in your life. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so very much. You don't look at us and tell us just to be better, just to be these strong pictures of Christianity, these pillars of faith, but you actually come alongside us and say, you know what, every bit of strength you need, I'll provide for you. I want you to be honest with who you are. I want you to learn to not try and do this in your own strength, and your own power, but to rely on my strength and power. And for that, Lord, we're grateful to remember how you've always worked through the weak and foolish things of people. And that that's how you're going to work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who cares so very much about us. That you wouldn't just leave us all alone in our weakness and problems, that you would come down and step into our midst. We're thankful that we have your strength. We pray we live by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.